This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily and sometimes more than daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth. So James, we now have a new Tory leader, not yet Prime Minister. Yep, so the King is returning to London, but apparently Liz Truss wants to do a cabinet tomorrow and I think there is some uncertainty about who will do PMQs on Wednesday. And it's also worth remembering, I think, that from the point of view of the machinery of government, no one was quite sure, even at kind of one thirty today, whether this contest was going to Friday or whether it was going to wrap up today. And it ended up wrapping up today because Penny Morden didn't get the 100 nominations she needed on the ballot to get on the ballot paper. Uh, so I think we now are in this kind of slightly odd interregnum period where Rishi Sunak is leader of a Conservative Party, but not yet Prime Minister. And I think there are a few interesting developments so far. I mean, the first thing is... Uh, and I should say that I've known I've known Rishi Sunak for years. The first thing I'm going to say is I thought it was striking that there was no other candidate on the ballot. Given the number of undeclared Conservative MPs, it was entirely possible there might have been another candidate on the ballot. I think that is an interesting sign of of, of party unity. Um, and it seemed Penny Morden got quite close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was she not... was pushing into the very end. It seemed. Yeah. When when that announcement, I was quite struck. Went out, which said, you know, Penny Morden was obviously saying, you know. The party wants to press on. It, it didn't come across as should had a moment of... No. Right. It was more as though MPs had forced her into a situation where she couldn't get on it. No, no. I, I read the statement two times. So I couldn't quite first work out whether yeah. she had whether she I got the nominations a bad day. and decided not to, to run or not. But I think there is a... It is day one and things would be very bad if there was not a kind of feeling of unity on day one. But I think it is interesting. One Sunak supporting MP said to me... That, you know, what they were encouraged by was how many of Boris Johnson's supporters had publicly declared for Rishi Sunak, making the point that they, they didn't need to do that. They could have sat on their hands and just said, oh, whatever, I'm not doing anything else. And so I think that that is a kind of interesting sign. I think now the challenge is the Tory party has been so riven by factionalism and tensions and all this. Rishi Sunak needs to show that he is creating an internal coalition. And he needs to show in his cabinet choices that, you know, he is going to pick people from all the wings of the party and people of talent from right across the party. I think one of the things that caused Liz Truss so many problems when she got into trouble was, the, you know, the, 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 the famous line to Grant Shapps that, you know, yes, you're very good and competent, but you didn't support me, so there's no room at the inn. And I think he has got to break with that. And I thought it was very telling that in the one brief statement we've had from him, on camera since he became Tory leader, he went out of his way to pay tribute to Liz Truss's grace. And, and I mean, that, that's clearly him trying to say, look, let's come together, let's unite. And that, you know, and that he is not, uh, he's not going to kind of criticise his predecessors. Do you think Rishi Sunak would go so far as to offer Liz Truss a job in his cabinet? I mean, there is always an interesting question about whether former prime ministers wish to come back and serve in cabinets but they can be offered it and then no, no, I, I think i think that look i personally think that if you're trying to knit things together it is a sensible unifying gesture if people want to do it i, I think it's quite some time since i think alex Douglas hume is the last former prime minister to return to cabinet in another role but look i think you i think you have to if you want to talk about unity you have to show that you are taking big steps to try and bring people together 
Now, you mentioned Rishi Sunak's public statement. Before we got to that, he also addressed Tory MPs in private and meeting on the 22 committee. I was still outside, lots of cheers and banging on desks. So, that, as you say, I think on day one, it would be more, uh, you know, a very bad sign for Rishi Sunak that wasn't happening than a great sign for his, you know, prosperity and so forth that it is. But, you know, a mix of attendees. Now, his message, and similar to this, you know, he began by saying, you know, Boris, Liz, Penny and paying tribute. So again, a big effort to reach across and effectively told MPs that they had a choice, unite or die, and pitched it as the final chance really to get this government back together. And I think when what I was told by MPs was when he was laying out what he thought, you know, the, the two big challenges were. The first was to restore fiscal competence, fiscal credibility, and the second was to actually restore faith in the Tory party, give people a a reason to think they should vote for this government that is doing things for them. Do you think we're going to hear any more from Rishi Sunak about his priorities? Because a lot of people have been, I think, watching this and thought, we haven't heard from this whole process. Yes, it's a very short process. That was a private audience. And then you had the public address, not looking in the right camera, um, but it was pretty short. So when will we hear more from Rishi Sunak? I mean, I presume when he actually enters Downing Street, I think there is. Do we know when that would be? No, I mean, I think I think it is unclear to me whether that is tomorrow or later in the week. I I think there is there is there is a very funny thing about this process. You you are clearly right to say that this process has been kind of largely conducted in private. I I think to be fair to him, and maybe I would say this, wouldn't I? He did do the Andrew Neil interview in the summer, the Nick Robinson interview in the summer. And the nature of his contest, it means that it has never got to the stage where there was, I mean, there was a plan for a, a, a TV debate between the last two candidates that had gone to the membership. But I do think that one of the things you have to do is to say to the public, is to make the public feel that, you know, you are their prime minister too. That is one of the, clearly one of the challenges this week. I think, you know, if you look at his launch statement one of the things he is trying to say is that he wants to deliver on the promise of a 2019 manifesto and i think that emphasis on the 2019 manifesto is a bit of a contrast to distrust I and mean, it's worth remembering that the that the whole fracking vote on the wednesday that caused her if we it feels like ancient history now which caused her so much trouble with the debate about what was it a confidence vote was it not a confidence vote i think a lot of the problem there was that some of the tory rebels were like hang on a second you're putting me on a free line whip to vote against the manifesto commitment, which was to maintain the moratorium, which was to keep a moratorium on fracking. I think that you going back to the 2019 manifesto could serve a unifying purpose. I think one of the difficulties, though, is obviously events have moved on since the 2019 manifesto. You've had COVID, you've had the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And so there is a question as to whether everything in the 2019 manifesto is deliverable in the current circumstances, given everything that is happening. But I think one of the causes of that smash up that Wednesday was people felt that they were being three line whipped against a manifesto commitment. Now, let's look ahead. We don't have exact timings, but ultimately, Rishi Sunak needs to meet the king. Then he will enter 10 Downing Street. And then, do we expect Rishi Sunak to then form a government? Do you think he'll do a drastic, I don't know if reshuffles the right word in this case a drastic shake up of the front bench team or not because it feels to me as though the team he probably would assemble if he'd won the first leadership contest would look a bit different to the one he assembles now in the sense he's walking to a much more fragile situation with more questions about his mandate and obviously this need to reach across yeah and i also think there is there is a different point which is it is remarkable when you read some of these pieces. You know, people talk about a, a, the fifth Secretary of State for this or something this year, right? They, 
there is clearly problems with that and you cannot just keep rotating ministers at this pace without, without losing something so i mean there is clearly a case for for starting with the current list rather than starting with a blank sheet of paper so what do you think is going to happen when it comes to Chancellor? Because both Penny Mordaunt and Boris Johnson suggested they would keep Jeremy Hunt in place. Jeremy Hunt endorsed Rishi Sunak not once but twice. He also backed him over the summer. So of all the people who really did, probably should give him a good job of, of Boris Johnson, Penny Mordaunt and Rishi Sunak, you'd think it'd be Rishi Sunak who is Jeremy Hunt the most. But he's also a former Chancellor. He might have his own views. Do you think there is a reason he didn't give that commitment to keep Jeremy Hunt? I think that you know. I think it's quite telling that in the campaign, I don't think he said he didn't. He didn't say anyone is going to do X, Y, or Z job. And I also think he probably, I think for for Penny Mordaunt, I think what she was trying to say was you know she's never been a Treasury Minister, and I think what she was trying to say during the campaign was look, there will be someone there to reassure the markets. And I think Boris Johnson was also trying to do the same thing to say look, don't don't think the markets are going to take fright at me returning to number ten, because. The Chancellor that will 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 stay there as a sign of continuity and stability, and so I think I think we wait to see on that question. I mean there is a there is an interesting question about whether you go ahead with this Halloween fiscal statement. I mean I thought previously I thought that was an impossibility because you know the nature of when these measures need to go to the OBR means that you know the new Prime Minister wouldn't have any time at all to have us to, to to look at them, and they will define the rest of his Parliament. You know now the Prime Minister is going to get in a few days earlier. You could argue that that changes some calculations, but I personally think that one of the challenges for Rishi Sunak is British politics has been moving on kind of fast forward, essentially since 2014. I mean I think it is it is hard to remember a boring period in British politics in the last eight years. And I think calming everything down, slowing things down, saying, look, there is a budget on November 23rd. Let's work towards that rather than going at, at this this pace. You know, I, I think it is worth remembering that you know, people talk about breakneck speed. Breakneck speed is not necessarily a good thing. It means that you might break your neck. And, and so I think there is a case for slowing down, calming things, uh, being a sensible approach. So I suppose just finally, I mean, it might be worth just working out what are the biggest challenges or dangers of Rishi Sunak coming up the track. It's been interesting, I thought, how the European Research Group didn't endorse a candidate, which some read as good news for Rishi Sunak, some read as good news for Penny Morden. Obviously, it wasn't that good news for Penny Morden, given she didn't make the cut. Effectively, we're saying they've got to hold whoever you know becomes Prime Minister account on this, uh, suggesting if the bill doesn't uh, go through Parliament... It raises questions about a compromise and what Richard Sunak could get through. Um, what else do you think are the potential flashpoints? So I think there are a whole, there are a whole slew of challenges. I can, I can, I can bore Defense you with Defence spending. Them. Yeah. So I, I think one of the ones I would say is one of the biggest challenges, I think, for the Tory party, which hasn't been discussed in this context, wasn't actually much discussed in the summer either. The NHS is already under pressure in the way that you would expect it to be under pressure in January or February. I mean, the biggest political risk to the Tories is the NHS having a very bad winter and people saying, well, hang on a second, what, you know, that when Port, when Steve Barclay was, was health secretary in the summer, you know, that woman saying, you've had 12 years to sort this out, why isn't this fixed? And that was obviously slightly unfair to him, seeing he's only just become health secretary, but that problem. Secondly, there is the economic problem, which is, you know, Look, the markets have reacted positively to Rishi Sunak winning. The pound is up, gilt yields are down. But, you know, there is still this very large hole in the public finances, which I think at the last OBR estimate was like £72 billion. That is, that is not going to be easy to fix. Then, as you rightly say, there is the political challenge of a, of a deeply divided Tory party. I, I think the Tory party will react in one of two ways to these polls showing them more than 30-plus points behind. They either will say, uh, oh, well, 
you know, we might as well all go back to fighting each other because it's all done. Or, and I think the signs are that this is where they're going, they will realise that this is an existential moment for the party and they've got to pull together or they could be facing kind of proper wipeout. Then there is obviously, and it tells you something about the number of crises that we've only just got to this. Then there is a situation of the fact there is a war in Europe. You have, you know, the, the defence ministers of the UK, France and the US issuing joint statements about the warning Russia against the use of a dirty bomb in Ukraine. I think that, that again is a reminder of how serious those are. And as you say, we're at a time when, 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 when the public finances are saying that there needs to be a period of fiscal consolidation, there are also increasing and understandable demands for, for an uplift in defence spending. Now, there is already an uplift in defence spending, but I think Ben, ben Wallace, the Defence Secretary, has been pretty vocal, but he would like more sooner. So that is obviously another challenge. And we haven't even got on to the challenges around the union, the fact we're still waiting for the Supreme Court case verdict on the, the Scottish government's desire to hold, a, to hold a, a referendum on independence, which they said would be non-binding. So, look, the, the, the challenges facing this government would be immense, even if its government was starting a five-year term and was ahead in the polls. It's got two years left or so until the next election, and it starts with the Tory party 30 points behind. So this is about as difficult as it can get. And on that note, James, we'll end that there. Thank you, James, and thank you for listening.